Today on the Decarb Connect podcast, I'm very pleased to be joined by Patrick Childs, who is representing Mission Innovation, which is really a kind of a new model of collaboration between government and industry, bringing together, I know Patrick will correct me here, but dozens of uh, international governments, all with this mission of sort of driving uh, large scale decarbonisation through both kind of the political agenda, as well as investor and industrial agendas. Patrick, perhaps you could tell us a little bit more about you, but also how you've come to this point in time. What was your background and, and how have you uh, come to this point of involvement around global climate policy? Well, Alex, really good to be with you and uh, thanks for this possibility. Um, so I'm a Deputy Director General working in the Research and Innovation Department in the European Commission in Brussels. I've been working in the EU institutions uh, for about 25 years and of those of the last five years or so I've been working um, on, on research and innovation. Uh, just before that, I was working on, on foreign policy and in our external action service. Um, and those two things come together very nicely, I think, to um, sort of respond to what is, I think, for science and innovation, uh, the major challenge of our, of our times, which is uh, the sort of giant climate change um, uh, challenge and the existential threats of climate change. And I think I'm just very lucky to be involved in a number of different uh, global coalitions, which in one way or another look at the science of climate change and how we can work together uh, to address that. And mission innovation is a very big part of that. From the Decarb Connect uh, team perspective, the last sort of 12, 15 months has seen really quite a shift in how uh, our kind of stakeholders talk to us. I know from your perspective, you must be seeing a lot of change in the last 12 to 18 months in terms of commitments and the focus on decarbonisation. Just as a starting point, what, what sort of patterns are you seeing emerge and what is what is interesting you about this moment in time and some of the kind of momentum that we're seeing? Well, I think you're right. I mean, of course, the European um, Union has been leading the global discussion on climate change for many, many years. Uh, and I think that we can be rightly uh, sort of proud of our track record of being consistently in the front of the discussion on, on how internationally we need to work together to, to meet these threats. Um, what's changed in our landscape in the last 18 months, of course, is the arrival of the uh, commission headed by President van der Leyen um, about 18 months ago with the single headline objective of delivering on the European Green Deal of making Europe the first carbon neutral uh, continent by uh, 2050. Um, a whole raft of initiatives and legislation and other things which I'm sure we'll talk about uh, to support that agenda. And I think that, that we've seen also in recent months uh, a number of global partners and important key players also signing up to uh, to net zero commitments in one form or another. And most recently, of course, the extremely welcome uh, return of the United States government to the table with the new Biden-Harris administration and the very, very clear agenda that President Biden set out on climate change. And I think this is reflected then also in the conversations that we have um, uh, with our member states, but also with the um, industrial and science communities across the European Union. And I think the biggest change that I've seen in the discussion we're having with industrialists is that you know, in some of the hard to abate sectors, you know, things like um, uh, heavy industry, chemicals, 
concrete, uh, as well as sort of long distance transport, aviation, shipping, um, that we are now having really serious conversations with our industrial partners about how they can make a, uh, their own contribution to net zero. And that the sort of discussion we used to have, uh, you know, particularly with some of the big energy companies a few years ago, where they were going through the motions a bit of saying, yeah, yeah, climate change is important, but we have our business model. Now I think they've understood that climate change is in the center of their business model and is something that, that you know, really is going to define business strategies as well as government policy for many years to come. Yes, yeah, definitely similar to what we're hearing. I think if we and people like us who are, you know, obviously our role is, is the bringing together of networks and the introductions that can help foster those collaborations and projects and, and move things forward in that way. What we hear, I would say, is a difference from a year ago where people were talking about how are we ever going to get it done? And it was all about the technology. Now, I'm not suggesting that the technology issue has gone away, but interestingly, now it is much more about the business model. And we're hearing more and more people talk about the business model for decarbonisation versus uh, the challenges of simply the technology. What is it that the mission innovation countries, those that are engaged with that um, coalition, what are they doing? What have they done to drive the beginnings of systemic change? Well, perhaps a few words of context about uh, Mission Innovation. Mission Innovation is a, a global coalition of uh, now 25 countries in the European Commission representing the European Union, um, which came together around the um, Paris uh, Agreement five years ago um, with a single-minded uh, goal of um, achieving uh, a doubling of publicly funded investment into clean energy solutions, uh, and in particular the research and innovation dimension of clean energy um, over that five-year period. And the good news is I think that you know, we're largely speaking on track uh, to achieve that, that there has been an annual uplift of something like $4.9 billion a year um, in additional publicly funded research into clean energy coming from the uh, mission innovation uh, community of nations. And I think that that you know, sends a very, very clear uh, signal and sense of direction about how public authorities see um, the future clean energy challenges. Of course, we recognize that the scale of those challenges, however, it dwarfs anything that the, um, that the public sector can provide. And the, the real solutions to climate change are going to require massive systemic investment, uh, also uh, at the level of companies and business, um, as companies embrace the economic opportunities uh, that uh, the um, climate uh, challenge presents to us. And I think that the other good news of the last few years is that you know, we can see from the figures, um, particularly in Europe, that um, we've managed to make significant reductions in um, global emissions and at the same time achieve significant economic growth. And I think that that you know, sort of counterintuitive but very encouraging result underlines the message that, that you know, working um, on clean energy solutions can provide new business opportunities. And you just have to look at the success, for example, of the, um, uh, of the wind energy sector in Europe and the massive export uh, opportunities that the, the sector is, is, is exploiting to see just how well positioned uh, some European sectors are in these uh, high tech clean energy um, areas in order to uh, penetrate uh, global markets at a time of very, very rapidly 
uh, rising demand. So, I mean, that's the, the basic package for mission innovation. Now, what have we been doing more specifically? Um, well, a lot of the work has been sort of structured around uh, seven or eight, what we call innovation challenges, main thematic areas. So we've got one on hydrogen, we've got one on smart grids, uh, we've got one on materials that are required for energy production, uh, we've got things going also on um, you know, the, the power sector, um, uh, heating and cooling in buildings, uh, gathering energy from, from, from sunlight directly. I mean, a whole, whole range of different thematic topics where we have put together under the leadership of, of one or a group of countries committed to mission innovation, uh, a sort of uh, mixed coalition of actors from uh, government, from research um, and innovation organizations, universities, but also open to the um, involvement also of the private sector. Um, and through this, uh, these sort of key thematic work streams, we've managed to deliver um, a really significant uplift in the jointly managed, jointly funded uh, research programs and projects than, than was happening before. And that for me is really the, the, the litmus test of the success of mission innovation. It's not just another in, international organization where people get together um, and talk about what they're doing nationally and congratulate themselves on those successes that they're making. Important though those information exchanges are, um, through mission innovation, what we're also doing is getting people around the table to do stuff together, to spend money jointly on common projects to identify uh, priorities that we share um, in order to, to make progress. And I think that you know, as we think now for the future of mission innovation, uh, that that's uh, the sort of pragmatic can-do results-oriented culture of mission innovation, uh, which is going to be very important uh, in, in the years ahead. If you gave an example of a work stream, how, how does mission innovation drive that? Because as you quite rightly say, there are many, many, many uh, organizations, coalitions, groups that get together to talk about this. So what, what is the difference in, in sort of practical terms about how something at a government level kind of has that influence through its work streams? Is there an example you could point to? I, I just give you one example because it's on my agenda this week, and that is um, uh, that we've been working with the uh, Indian government and with the World Economic Forum in Davos to um, uh, launch a, a global cooling prize. So it's a $1 million prize for uh, different companies, researchers to come forward with a proposal of how to make a significant difference to cooling of buildings, which is you know, one of the most energy intensive activities that we've got using clean energy solutions. And I'm going to be um, participating in, in the coming days in the sort of award ceremony for this event, which is why it's on my mind at the moment. But I think it's a really uh, good example of how different actors, so under the sort of umbrella uh, sort of leadership of mission innovation, um, with the input of the Indian government on an area which, of course, is of a high priority in terms of the domestic Indian uh, energy strategy as well, um, and then with the with the backing also of the uh, uh, of the industrial and, and business input that comes from the World Economic Forum, really working together 
to provide this, this prize money to organize the thing. Now it's a small example, but it's one I think which is you know, quite visible and, 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 and you know, gets, gives you a sense of how what we're doing in mission innovation is different uh, from, for example, what happens in the um, uh, International Energy Agency in Paris, which does very, very important work, or the, um, the Renewables Agency, which is uh, based in, in Bonn and um, uh, in Abu Dhabi. Uh, but you know, we work in close partnership with those organizations, but we try and add that additional level of operational delivery of uh, real-time coordination and cooperation. So real kind of practical example of a spur to action, not just a discussion about a possible course of action. Mm -hmm. I, I think that, yeah, that's a great, great example. Okay, so a slight, slight change in tack, because uh, as I said a few minutes ago, whilst we, in my team, we have been hearing this kind of shift in the conversation from issues around technology to talking more about business model. It is still true to say, I think that a lot of industrials in particular one of the reasons that they're not sort of moving forward or haven't moved forward as much is this sort of whether it's a fear or a kind of a barrier you know I don't know how you want to describe it that the the technologies around decarbonization are just are not yet at scale. You're right that I mean the challenges that we face you know probably have three dimensions I mean there is first are the necessary um, technologies and specifically emission innovation clean energy technologies but more generally when we're talking about the European Green Deal um, the wider decarbonisation agenda technologies. Do we have technologies that we need to achieve uh, the full decarbonisation objectives that we have? Answer is probably not. And we still have uh, important work to be doing in finding quickly the new technologies which are going to be part of the next generation of um, decarbonisation solutions. So, for example, in the last six months, one thing that the European Commission has done is to launch a really big one billion Green Deal call of um, uh, research funding uh, over the sort of 10 main themes of the European Green Deal. And that closed uh, with an extremely encouraging response, uh, more than a thousand excellent proposals uh, at the beginning of this year. So we're really trying to sort of you know, give a kickstart to the research agenda. But then you're right as well. I mean, there is a lot of opportunity for the scaling up and, and sort of commercialization of technologies which exist today. So hydrogen there, I think for me, is, is a very, very good example. A lot of international discussion about hydrogen, key theme of work in emission innovation. But the real problem about clean, green hydrogen is it costs considerably more than hydrogen produced using fossil fuels, um, which in turn costs more than the other energy sources from fossil fuels that we could uh, think about. So, uh, you know, what we urgently need to do is find the sort of business models uh, and sort of new uh, opportunities to scale up and de-risk and reduce what Bill Gates in his recent book about how to um, avoid a climate emergency, Bill Gates is called the green premium. Um, of using clean alternative technologies rather than their um, uh, the, the sort of traditional fossil-based solutions. And the third thing that we need to do, and there, you know, the responsibility is very much with public authorities and governments, is to provide the right um, regulatory uh, framework, the right um, uh, the right sort of legislative environment for green technologies 
uh, to emerge strongly uh, and, and as quickly as, as possible. And there, I think, you know, things like our Fit for 55 agenda, the Commission's sort of next milestone in the implementation of the European Green Deal, where we've established a sort of um, intermediate target of 55% reduction in emissions by 2030, uh, that then during the course of this year, we're going to be coming forward with a, a really uh, quite sort of extensive uh, legislative package uh, to support the efforts that member states uh, and the business community in Europe are making in order to align themselves uh, on the Green Deal objectives in a whole range of areas from sort of energy efficiency to um, uh, the sort of uh, extra costs of, um, uh, of clean technologies. Does Fit for 55 sort of speak to the business models? I, I does is is the EU going to be able to help kind of spur almost the business model around either the procurement of low carbon or zero carbon materials, or is it more still focused on on the technology and the technology readiness aspect of the, the challenge? Um, the, the Fit for 55 is mostly about creating the right. Um, regulatory environment for um, clean uh, and decarbonizing technologies to emerge in a fair and um, uh, in sort of, uh, we hope, swift way. Uh, so, I mean, of course, the shape of that legislation will have implications for business models of uh, leading companies, leading industries in the European Union. We hope we'll support them and facilitate the progress that they are also committed to making towards their objectives. But it's, a, it's mainly a sort of regulatory package, which is, of course, you know, one of the things that the European Union is there to do, to set legislation regulation for the European Union as a whole, or at least propose it, so that then our member states and the European Parliament can pick it up and, and, and come to agreement. Back to your mission innovation hat. So the EU is obviously one constituent of mission innovation. How has that group of countries or the, the way that that works, how has that adapted over time? Because I'm sure like, you know, any coalition of partners, you know, what happens on day one is not what happens at day, you know, year five or whatever. What, how has that matured over time? And what are some of the differences you're seeing in, in how the coalition is, is working together? Mission innovation has existed since the uh, Paris COP in 2015. So it's a relatively recent, a relatively new organization. Um, uh, and I would say that you know, the thing that has most uh, sort of characterized its uh, sort of development over the last five years has been the um, growing number of countries which have, um, have wanted to join. Um, so you know, year on year, we've seen um, new members joining, I think most recently Morocco, but before that, uh, Austria um, and, and the European uh, Union and the European Commission um, was not a member on the first day, but we joined you know, a few months after it was, uh, it was set up. So, I mean, I think that the powerful attraction of mission innovation as the natural sort of central catalyst of international collaboration around uh, clean energy research and innovation has had a very sort of attractive and, and, and uh, mobilizing effect on countries around the world. Um, but we're now at a point where you know we're coming to the end of our first five-year mandate and thinking about you know what comes next, what, what's the next phase of mission innovation, and how do we want to reshape our membership criteria, our commitments together, and the ways that we work in order to we hope achieve a, an even higher level of ambition for the for the years ahead, given the scale of the, the challenges that we face. Um, so we are trying to build on what we've achieved so far 
in terms of having a really focused agenda of priorities. Um, and so they, I hope that when our mission innovation ministers meet together um, uh, under the sort of chairmanship, we hope that those physically present, but under the chairmanship of the Chilean government in, at the end of May, beginning of June, that we will be able to you know, sort of come to a really strong agreement about what the what we call Mission Innovation 2.0, the next phase of Mission Innovation looks like. In terms of the commitments that we make uh, to continue to make progress domestically with our national research programs, um, the commitments that we make to be part of some of the sort of priority work streams. Um, so we've been talking about things like hydrogen, like the power sector, like long distance shipping as possible topics that we would sort of want to push uh, for the future. Um, and also um, you know, a sort of collective commitment to making a success of mission innovation. I mean, we, we want to have active members, countries that are really going to you know, want to be part of it, bring uh, resources to the, uh, to the supporting uh, structures, mobilize their ministers to participate in events and to make domestic commitments, which then will help us collectively to make, uh, take this all forward. And the other very important dimension that I hope will emerge from Mission Innovation 2.0 is the uh, way that we work with the private sector. Um, but this has been a big focus of our collaboration so far. We've got partnerships with the, um, uh, as I said, with the World Economic Forum, with the, the Davos um, uh, community. We have other um, important uh, uh, relationships, for example, with the Breakthrough Energy Coalition led by Bill Gates and the Gates Ventures um, uh, people. But, but this is an area which, where we still haven't, I think, found the sweet spot of how do um, policymakers and uh, companies, industrialists, investors work together on a common agenda uh, and really do things to, that are meaningful together. And so I think that that's going to be an important challenge for us also for the next uh, period. You mentioned at the start that mission innovation or rather the uh, constituents of mission innovation have, have increased public investment by, you think you said $4.9 billion. That is a, a big stride forward in, in, in anyone's measure, but the commercial investor market also needs to step in. Well, in the end, of course, investment needs to make a profit. And so what will drive uh, the large scale investment that we need is that companies, investors see that the um, economic and commercial opportunities of those investments are going to you know, give them good, uh, good, good returns, um, uh, as well as you know, sort of sharing in the, um, in the broader sort of societal um, benefits of, uh, of, of making progress on, on, on climate. Um, and for that to happen, we need to work together with industry to find sort of successful models of collaboration in order to de-risk the investments that are needed now for the sort of demonstration scale or scaling up operation for uh, the emerging technologies that we're working on together so that we are in a way uh, preparing our industrial community to be you know, really well placed to seize these new opportunities as they as they come forward. But as I said, I mean, I, I think that the, the speed with which we've seen the transformation in the wind energy sector um, and the strength that that has brought to the European economy in particular, as now you know, countries around the globe are sort of scaling up wind energy as quickly as they can, has happened much more quickly than anyone expected. 
Um, and what I would like to see is that by working through uh, policies like the European Green Deal, international collaboration sort of mechanisms like mission innovation, um, that we're able to uh, have that sort of uh, speed of transformational process also affecting other sectors. I mean, whether it's in hydrogen, whether it's clean aviation fuels, whether it's direct air capture or, or other you know, things for which we don't yet have commercially um, attractive or commercially viable uh, solutions available at scale. You know, that's where we need to work together to invest, to create the economic opportunities for the future and therefore the progress that we need on climate. On that Fit for 55 agenda, that that's a kind of a midterm measure point, I suppose, measurement point, isn't it? You know, which is a reduction uh, of emissions by 55% by 2030. Uh, out of interest, is there something more short term than that that you're going to measure success on as well? As, as in, is there something in the next sort of three or four years that you'd be like, right, if I see X, Y, Z happening, I know that mission innovation is, is on track or that we are on track to achieve that. Are, are there any short term measures? <laughs> Well, Alex, I mean, 2030 is tomorrow. Huh? I mean, in terms of uh, the sort of uh, uh, pace at which we are able to embrace and, and integrate you know, large-scale decarbonisation strategies in major industrial sectors, I mean, 2030 is you know, just around the corner. Um, so, I mean, just to complete, you know, what we're doing under the the 55 package, I mean, we're thinking about uh, improvements in our emissions trading scheme. I mean, already, I think that the Europe has set the sort of global standard in terms of successful emissions trading schemes. Uh, and now with our new innovation fund, um, we are able to generate very significant uh, financial volumes to invest in some of these sort of clean energy technologies and, and decarbonization strategies using money we're getting from the emission trading schemes. But we need to think about whether we can apply it in other new hard sectors like maritime, aviation, road transport and buildings. We're working on something called the effort sharing regulation, which looks at you know, how we distribute the, the challenges of, of sharing out the burden of uh, adjustment across um, uh, different sectors and different member states. And that's something we've already been working on uh, through the Just Transition Mechanism, which is a, a financial package to help some of the countries in the European Union which are facing the biggest challenges in uh, making progress with decarbonisation. We're also looking at things like land use and forestry, uh, the CO2 emissions from cars and vans, renewable energy and energy efficiency. So those are the sort of elements of the Fit for 55 uh, package. And as I say, you know, it's uh, the, the, the challenges now. In terms of our immediate sort of success criteria though, I mean, we are just at this moment uh, in the transition phase for the, for the um, uh, introduction of our new research and innovation framework program in Europe. Uh, Horizon Europe, uh, which has started at the beginning of 2021. And as part of that, we are setting up some uh, new industrial partnerships in a number of key areas, building on what we've done in the past in, in programs like Horizon 2020. And um, so just to give you know, a few examples of that, we have a, a clean hydrogen partnership in preparation. We have a clean aviation partnership in, in preparation. Uh, we're working also with the rail sector. We're working, looking at how we work sort of cooperate in Europe, at a European level on air traffic control in order to um, uh, reduce emissions from aviation. And we hope, of course, the aviation system will be able to return to some form of normality in the, in the coming months. Um, and so, you know, how uh, we progress with these new Horizon Europe industrial partnerships, I think is going to be you know, really quite critical. 
and all the signals that we're getting are that industry in Europe and beyond um, are really very, very interested in these new partnerships and are bringing not only their people to the table, but also their money into the uh, structures that we're developing for um, uh, joint projects and, and, and collaborations in these uh, in these key sectors. And so I think that that already will give us a, a sort of an important sort of litmus test of the of the sort of progress that we're making. And for, for the moment, the, the, the signals are good. And is your just out of interest? I, I know that you've got your um, the kind of the next next phase of mission innovation launches uh, in June. Is there is there a sense, are there, do you think there's a kind of growth in membership likely in the next few years as well? I know you've said up until now, there's been a, a regular addition of members each year. Is that is that on the cards that this will become an ever larger coalition? Well, um, as I said before, the initial entry ticket for mission innovation was countries that were able to commit themselves to doubling their publicly funded research into uh, clean energy research and innovation. Um, and not all countries in the world were able to make that commitment. So we had a number of countries that were quite interested to join, but were not able to do so because of that you know, rather challenging um, uh, entry ticket. Now, for the next phase of uh, mission innovation, although I would love to see countries around the world uh, being capable of uh, further doubling effort, uh, you know, obviously this is an exponential story and, and not something which can be so easily uh, uh, guaranteed. So I think that we're, one of the things that we're thinking about as we shift our focus away from the sort of mechanical inputs of how much money you're spending to, well, what is the results of that spending? And what are the affordable clean energy technologies that we're developing, which can then bring benefits not only to our own countries, but globally, um, that, that it will be possible for new members to, um, uh, to, to, to commit themselves, sign up. And you know, I, for one, would certainly like to see uh, a progressive increase in the mission innovation um, uh, community, but on the condition that the new members bring their active commitment and participation. I mean, the mission innovation, uh, you know, has got too much of an agenda, is sort of um, too much in a hurry for us to be able to afford to have, you know, countries which are just uh, passengers who just want to be there to come to occasional meetings. We need to have people who are really committed to the agenda. Thank you for, well, A, for joining, and thank you for that, Patrick. I, I, every time I talk to people, no matter what their, their their kind of interest, whether it's governmental or private sector or whatever, it just it really strikes me that a obviously this is not a linear pro process. Everything is gaining momentum and an exponential growth and exponential change is not just possible; it's happening. So, thank you for for feeding into that nice positive worldview because we could all use it at the moment. Thank you for joining. Well, thank you, Alex. I enjoyed enjoyed the conversation too. Have a good day.